Welcome to the Who Shuffled Tabletop Podcast. Episode 10, Perception of a Board Gamer. Welcome to another episode of Who Shuffled. I'm Tom Tanner, and with me today is Hugh Stevens. How's it going, Hugh? Going well, man. That's right. I'm back for round two. Glad to have you back. Um, we got a pretty good show today. We're going to talk about some cool Kickstarters and things and some expansions, and we're going to be getting into some... Oh, what are we talking about, Hugh? Um, the perceptions of a board gamer is what you got wrote here. What does that mean? Yeah, a uh, little bit of uh, stigmas and kind of, you know, what holds us back in choosing new games and how deep down the rabbit hole of board gaming we go, I, I think. I think it's an interesting subject, maybe a little more of a thinker. I'm, I'm ready to go ahead and dive into that topic, but let's, let's get to the news first. All right. <laughs> Okay, and now it's time for the news. All right, Hugh, take it away. Yeah, man. Um, first things up, I want to give you guys compliments on last week's episode uh, interviewing Rob Davio. It was really great, man. Uh, but I wanted to update everybody that the Kickstarter for that uh, his game, Fireball Island, is live and doing quite well, Tom. Have you been following it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, thank you for the compliments. I think I did amazing my little, like, one or two words to, to Rob's, you know, <laughs> 10 minutes. I would be like, and so, you know, the extent of our questions are like, what's your favorite color, board game? And then he would talk for 20 minutes. It was a great episode. High, much higher quality than, than usual. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Kickstarter, like, even all the stuff that he told us, there's so much stuff on this Kickstarter that I've seen that, you know, um that i didn't know you know that they that they held back from us and man it looks so good i, I backed it the first hour i'm sure you did too i think so it's yeah it looks great it's already hit a million bucks so they were aiming for 250 250,000 and they hit a million and i guess today they hit it i think yes yeah, so as the time of this recording they're a little over a million got to keep going a little bit more the next stretch goal i noticed is painted miniatures uh for a little add-on uh you know i care about those miniatures you know, I was thinking, Tom, um, when you asked me to do the show, um, I was like, yeah, I'll be the uh, fool to follow Rob Davio into an episode. So I guess it uh, just can't get any worse. <laughs> That's right. So, That's perfect right. time to come on. Yeah, it's a hard act to follow for sure, but <laughs> I'm here too, so I'm following it up as well. Just only two days in over me, and and, and I'll, I'll compliment him, you know, um, I'm, I'm not a huge backer in kickstarter i'm uh you know i know you and ryan uh ryan i think it's been ryan's the kickstarter guy yeah, yeah. i'm i've had very little yeah. um i think i've backed about six or seven things you know like all time so not many things comparatively 
well, let me know what you think. But uh, following this one, I've I was backer I think eight hundred. Um, so pretty early on. Uh, I think they're doing pretty good at their uh, rewards. They seem to have numerous rewards and keep adding on and the stretch goals. Yeah, their stretch goals. I think I've seen enough. Uh, I listened to that episode and I think I text out to you guys. Um, pretty much just opened my wallet. <laughs> I was ready to buy it. Yeah. Hope they do well and just wanted to give an update on that. Yeah, I mean it's one of those games so I think that everybody should probably just back it. If you're on the if you're on the fence or something, just do it. I mean it just looks like good clean fun for all ages. One more thing, uh, or a couple more things on the news, uh, Tom. I figured you'd be excited about these two. They're both the some of your top games, uh both Gloomhaven and Mansions of Madness have both announced uh, expansions that would be released this year. Have you saw much about them? Yeah, I looked into the Gloomhaven. It's Forgotten Circles. I looked in it pretty pretty deep. Um, the thing about it, though, is like, I'll be honest, I'll probably buy it <laughs> just because Gloomhaven's so good. But I think it's useless. I, I shouldn't because there's so much game, like I've said in the past. Um, it does add another class, but I'm still using the starter classes. You know, I, mean, I haven't haven't opened up any of the class boxes and there's like i don't even know maybe eight or ten total so i think it's great i mean i hope they keep making them because there are people out there that are have played through gloomhaven and love it and are starting a second playthrough with different you know characters and stuff and i mean there's a lot i mean it, it can definitely be a lifestyle game i mean no question you could play gloomhaven forever just like keep playing it because especially they've got the little removable sticker packs you know so you can you can buy those like like 15 or 20 bucks or something. And so all of the you know permanent legacy parts of the game, you know, you you buy these little sticker packs that are removable so you can reset everything and go back from the start and you know I think that people are out there doing that, you know, like obviously they are, it wouldn't be a thing to buy those, you know. But um I think that these these expansions are going to keep rolling out, you know. I would I would expect, you know, maybe one to two every year from here on out, maybe even more, especially once more people get finished with the base game you know but this this new character this um i don't even know how you pronounce this aether esther diviner um it looks pretty cool some kind of realm <laughs> i don't know some kind of like almost looks like magic the gathering like like a planeswalker forgotten circles it's really reminiscent of that for me tapping into all these different like that's what the circles are like other worlds you can go to yeah, and it, I think I read it was like 20 more scenarios, but what it made me think of, Tom, is Gloomhaven's already, what, a 100-pound box? I mean, you're going to need a uh, a dolly to lift and bring your Gloomhaven collection around if they keep adding expansions. I was going to ask you, Tom, you talking about getting two new games. I was going to say, when do you have time to play? But me and you were talking before aired. You were saying you've played how many games this year? 90 days, 95 days, and you played 100 and... Five games? Probably 110. Yeah, I had 102 on my thing, but I haven't updated the last. I played a couple games today. I played Onitama and Vegeta and played some. I played two games of Seasons on Four Game Arena and uh, some Quarto and a Love Letter. <laughs> Just had to call you out on that a little bit when I was thinking. Yeah. When are you, when are you going to play um, these new games? But you'll you'll find time. We're kind of getting off our news here, but yeah, I I definitely have a you know very ridiculous shelf of shame it's more like you know room of shame you know because i've probably got over 20 games here I'm, I'm sure i would i'd be surprised if i had less than 20 that i haven't played 
Yeah, I have my fair share that uh, need to get around to playing. I think I've got, I think I got two hundred games. So, uh, you know, right at like within maybe these made me like at two hundred five or something with these this recent shipment. So, at two hundred, I think I got about twenty twenty five. So, around ten percent. So that's not, you know, it's not bad. I'm working on it. One other expansion, as I was mentioning, you might be picking up, probably be the Mansions of Madness. Uh, it's called The Sanctum of Twilight. I really haven't read a lot about it, but I saw that Dark uh, Fantasy Flight was uh, really released a new slate of news, and that was amongst uh, one that was peeked in there that seemed to be just more story and uh, horrors, more clues, it says. Uh, I think that's their line. Looks like something that would be interesting to pick up. Yeah, I don't I don't know anything about like what's changing about this one. Yeah, I mean I I haven't bought any of the expansions yet because there's so much in the box. And I was actually just talking to our friend Josh about this because we were playing Mansions of Madness the other night on the computer on tabletop, which was really interesting because we had to have the app in open in one window and sharing my screen. I was sharing my screen with him, like the actual Mansions of Madness app, and then we had tabletop simulator with the game set up because you can't have the app in the game you know what i mean because it's an app driven board game so it was kind of a finicky it's not the best game to play over the internet which is funny because it's an app integrated game you'd think it'd be like one of the best games for that but it worked i mean we, we played for we got about halfway through the scenario you know it's a longer game but but i was talking to him about is i've played this game quite a bit i mean maybe i guess i could look but probably six or eight times and i've only ever played the first two scenarios every time it seems like i pull it out it's somebody new those those other scenarios i mean the first scenario is pretty pretty long i mean it can go i mean it says like 60 to 90 minutes but every time i've ever played it it's been over two hours you know and so it's like it's a a heavy long game and so i've got a ton of content left in the base game that i still want to want to play and um so i'm 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 kind of glad they're coming out with all these because i've already seen like a few of the first expansions have gotten cheaper already and the digital versions are like half price now so i'm going to kind of hold out and snatch them all up when they're real cheap you know yeah might not be a bad strategy for a game that meaty um i've certainly enjoyed the game i know i've only played the first part but it's the first game i played with that mixed um using the uh digital app along with the board game then i really enjoyed it it's got me excited about one day pulling down imperial assault and trying that app i downloaded the app as soon as i heard about it and have yet to you know actually play it i've i've not i've not tried the app either yeah i, I love um imperial assault but you know we got to paint all those minis before we can play it. exactly exactly well moving on in the news a uh, couple other things i wanted to mention um uh, one would be the shards of, Infin- of infinity game I almost butchered that name shards of infinity it's a deck building game by the maker of ascension it released actually on april 2nd and uh, I'll be honest with you, Tom, as much as I like deck builders, I had not been following the game. Yeah, I had not heard about it until maybe a week ago on another podcast, but I I really am interested in this for sure. Um, I wish I had been following it. Maybe I could have gotten a copy because it's for the price. I mean, it's, what, 15 bucks right now? Uh, well, it's kind of going up. I think it sold for 20 
Maybe. I, I've seen all sorts of prices because they're reselling them. But I mean, when it first came out, it was like 15 bucks on cool stuff, I think. I mean, that's, that's what it's supposed to be if yeah. they get a new shipment in. But I'm just saying, like, the price point's great. What interested me the most, do you know much of the details about the gameplay itself? Well, I know, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about deck builders on here, and I know you buy from a shared um, tableau that's laid out a market, the shared. Um, but I think what's different from what I know is the way you score, instead of being a point scoring game, it's more about boosting your cards. It sounded like you build power and uh, really build up your deck. Kinda. Um, I think the biggest difference is okay. So I'm doing this all out of memory. I'm not. I can't get any of this information. But from what I remember, it's it's pretty standard, kind of like like Star Realms or I'm trying to think of any other games like that where it is a deck builder. Star Realms is the best comparison. You have 30 health each, you know, 30 hit points. And the point of the game is to basically knock out or kill the opponent, you know, like get their health to zero. So you're doing that by playing these cards, right? So the cards you play are going to be doing damage to your opponent or, you know, building your deck and upgrading that kind of stuff. I think the biggest difference is, well, there's two parts of it that really excite me. First off, there's a, a leveling system. And I can't remember what the levels are called, but basically you have an option Every turn, I think you can choose to spend like one of your energy or mana or whatever it is in the game, and you can basically level up. Every turn, you can use one of your resources to level up one level, basically. And I don't know if you can do multiple levels. There's probably cards that help you level up. I think you can only do like your standard level up once per turn or something like that. But what does that mean, right? What does leveling up do? Well, a lot of these cards that you, you know, that you're getting, you know, like building, they'll have they do this, like draw draw a card, right? But then if you're level 10, draw two cards. But if you're level 20, draw four cards or whatever. So like the cards themselves, go, it goes up to level 30. So each card can have like multiple, like the cards get better as you level up. So that's one way about it. Everybody starts with this one card in their deck called the Infinity something. I want to say Infinity Shard, but that's <laughs> sure. not it. It's the Shard of Infinity, Dom. Yeah, yeah. It might be, honestly. But um, so like everybody starts with that in their deck. And the point of it is, is if you, if you, if you, played at level 10 it does like x amount of damage level 20 it does more if you do it at level 30 it does infinity damage that's what it says on the card so what that means is once you hit level 30 and you you know that card cycles back through and you play that infinity shard or whatever you instantly win you kill your opponent you know which this is actually more than two players so you could kill a opponent you wouldn't necessarily win I think that's an you know that's just like one of the win conditions basically is by getting to level thirty and playing that card, but anyway so there's that that's really cool how how like you level up and based on your character's level or your the player's level, um that determines how the cards act which I think is super cool. Another big thing that I've never seen in in, in any game really or any deck builder like this is you can basically choose to play a card. Okay, so like normally when you buy a card just like any deck builder. Um, when you purchase it from the market, it goes in your discard pile, right? And then you shuffle it up once you go through your whole deck and it goes back and it gets mixed in, right? Well, you have the option to basically pay the same price, I think, from my memory, if it serves me right. And you can play that card instantly, but you don't get it. Like, it's just, you just play, like, you, you get it from the market and you lay it down. And it, it's like a one-time deal. And then it goes, you know, goes away. Like, you don't get to, don't add it to your deck. And it might cost more or have a different, you know, cost or something for that or different effect, maybe like a different kind of effect. But 
but I think that's a cool option. So like towards the end of the game, that might be a like to try to get that last few damage on your opponent. You know, you can choose to like burn cards that way. So anyway, it just seemed really interesting to me, and I, I definitely want to give it a shot. Yeah, sounds like a lot of cool concepts are layering on top of the deck building mechanic. Um, yeah. You know, that's really excites me because it's really you know I I never suspected as much fun as deck building games are that it would really take off into the genre. It really is kind of formed, uh, developed inside the game, uh, board game market, you know. Um, seems like there's just several new competitors and they're always adding something new, but I'm always interested to see what that new factor is. And certainly this one has a good pedigree being made by the maker of Ascension. I think his name's Gary Arendt. Yeah, I think that's right. That might be right, but yeah. Certainly something to check out, and when it comes back in, uh won't really hurt the, the bank too much to try. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the other big thing is, I mean, these small box games like that, to have, like, such praise and to sound so interesting to me, I mean, they could have sold this for 30 bucks, you know, twice what they're selling it for, and I probably would, wouldn't even think twice, I would have probably still bought it. If they're selling it for 15 I mean, it's almost, almost seems like a crime not to buy one, you know. Well, one last thing I wanted to mention, Tom, was actually another Kickstarter that launched about the same time the uh, Fireball Island Kickstarter began was uh, Street Fighter, the miniature game. Um, that's a very interesting-looking Kickstarter. Tom, have you uh, looked this one up? I had like heard of it and seen a little bit about it, but I hadn't really looked in depth about it until you, you showed me here. But I, I, I worry about it and fireball island being live at the same time is probably not a good idea for either of them because fireball island is like such a such a big deal right now in the um which i guess the batman one is still going too man yeah so yeah i mean like eh, they could probably time this better because fireball island is so so big with the hobbyist you know guys and then street fighter just the ip you know everybody's you know gonna be super excited about this and that's gonna draw a lot more people there's just only so much money for board gamers to spend, and it it makes me think of like parallels of it, the market, the board game market, and uh, video game market. I, I know they're yeah. really strategic throughout the year at what time games come out, and they don't want to fall in with another triple A title. Right. But you know, I I don't know if board games are as um, vexed or tried and true at doing this i I think it's something new to them uh, in a way and maybe it's some my naive nature of the hobby but i I really don't think that they've been in this territory um for very long well i mean the batman thing is like a whole nother world though i mean it's like it's done so well i mean if i if i dropped i hadn't backed it because we got a buddy of ours that's backed it and he's moving to 15 minutes from my house in august so <laughs> I'm, I'm like yay <laughs> i don't have to i don't have to buy it now because he's already he went all in you know but if i had 320 bucks tied up in batman this month i would i'm not saying that it would turn me off from these games but i would think i'd, I'd be a lot more careful especially if anybody's on a budget you know you're gonna be you're gonna just be able you're gonna have to miss some of these games or at least only be able to get like the base game like it's got to affect people right i mean there's no way around it when, if you drop that much money on a game um it's got that's what i'm getting at it's like nobody wants to release their movie the same weekend as star wars right? any star yeah. wars film right because you're like what movie came out like tell me a movie that came out when when last Jedi came out you don't know because there's nothing <laughs> you know because nobody's that dumb you know well, so maybe these are different enough markets 
you know so maybe like this street fighter miniature game is you're getting the people just for the ip that aren't aren't super board gamers but they're coming for street fighter and then maybe you've got miniatures arena fighting kind of guys you know and that that's probably vastly different from fireball island you know like the you know family you know nostalgia you got older i don't know i mean there's probably a lot of crossover there but i don't know maybe not as much as other games you know like i could see other games like that brutality that we talked about it's over now but if it and street fighter were simultaneous i could see it could have suffered a lot from street fighter you know yeah well what we didn't mention about it is the base game the base pledge uh for the street fighter game is 140 dollars um and that's pretty substantial that's not a 20 dollar game to pick up off the shelf on a whim as we were just talking about uh i mean you're talking about with the stretch goals right the base uh, the basic pledge that's is right 80. it's 80 that's yeah. right it's 80 yeah but but what you really want is the 140 from what i was seeing so maybe that's where I, my mind was at but i mentioned last time i was on the show i'm a sucker for miniatures and this is the game for miniatures this is they're huge pre-painted high quality figures man i watched the youtube videos on the kickstarter page anybody wants to look it up um they have a miniature showcase and phenomenal. They they actually have them sitting next to their 65 millimeter um, miniatures, and that's wow, I that's guess really the most big. Easiest thing to show is uh, they're bigger than an amiibo, like the amiibo the Nintendo figures, or like maybe Skylanders you've seen. They're bigger than those. So you're you're talking about some shelf art to put, <laughs> to put up if you're really into Street Fighter. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's that's cool for sure. And that, that that's actually more, probably makes me a little more interested in it than than I, than I would have been if they weren't painted. But I, I would feel like their target audience and like more people would have preferred it to be cheaper and they could paint it themselves, you know, because that's like a big part of miniatures, you know, like being able to paint it yourselves. Like I thought you would actually not be as into this game because they're pre-painted because you enjoy painting so much you know does that cross your mind at all it would tom but um my load is pretty heavy and maybe i'm looking at it like a breather of saying yeah well well tell me this would you would you rather would you rather have it have it like let's just assume that you were going to back it for 140 well that's what you decided i don't know if you have or anything but Let's say you're going to back it for 140. Would you rather have it in its current state at uh, 140, or would you rather pay 90 dollars and then be unpainted? I'm not saying it costs 50 dollars to paint them. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, no. But in my perspective, the cost does matter. Um, I joked earlier about the Fireball Island miniatures being painted. You, you didn't give me any trouble there. Um, and to be honest with you, they're much smaller miniatures, and it probably won't be high quality paint. Um. But the value, I think it's a $10 add-on for the painted miniatures. Uh-huh. And right now, um, as many board games as I want to go through and paint, um, it's worth the $10 to me to get them painted. So <laughs> it's, it's it really depends on cost versus desire. And the game, you know, that's a game where you're rolling marbles down to hit these painted figures. So I really don't want to paint something. Not that uh, you can't put enough clear on it to help it, but... Um, yeah. You know, it, it 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 all depends. That's not a it's not an easy question, but I do enjoy and and I guess I get what you're saying, you know, and this as nice as these figures are, they would actually be good figures to paint. 
Yeah. It might go back to that mainstream we're talking about. The IP is so popular. They might be counting on a lot of non-miniature guys buying this game. More board gamers and more not even hobbyists, you know, at all, like purchasing this game just because of the IP and them being pre-painted probably is a lot more attractive to people that don't have a paint set up ready to go, you know. I, I could see that. That might be part of it just because of the IP, you know. Yeah, well, it's, it's definitely after that nostalgia. I don't I don't know. Again, if you look deeper into it, they actually sell packs of four extra characters from different Street Fighter games, uh, like the yeah. Street Fighter 4 uh, four pack is forty extra dollars, but you get four new characters in their decks, which is their attacks. Um, and so each one, Street Fighter Five, the same four characters um, from that game. Uh, so it's definitely playing a little bit on nostalgia. The game that you maybe link yourself to. Something to look into if you're a big Street Fighter, or even if you're not, if you're into the arena type games, it it might be worth it. But uh, if you want to pick it up, I'll certainly come play it with you. But okay. not sure if I'll back it <laughs> at this time. I, I might just get it and then um, paint over it myself. Oh, okay. All right, man. <laughs> what would you, what would you do if I if I back if I got this and then I sent you a picture of all of them just primed white? <laughs> you would lose your mind, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> no no it's your your game you do what you want yeah i'm not i'm not gonna paint it i'm not getting this game i don't think price right. point's just not there for me but yeah those are great looking minis so yeah all right all let's right, you know talk about some games we played absolutely Let's talk about some games we played. What you been playing, Hugh? Well, um, really was kind of decided. Uh, did play Flip Ships some, and uh, that's been a really popular game amongst my wife and uh, my brother-in-law and I that been playing, and we've pulled it out about everywhere we've played recently because it's such a good filler game. Um, but it's really, there's some meat to that game as well, but have you gotten any better at it? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm amazing at it now. Because you let us down at GnomeCon, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, I was going to say that. You know, we talked about this game just um, in some brief comments of it about GnomeCon. We did play it, but um, wanted to go a little more in depth about the game. Flip Ships is a really cool dexterity game. Um, it's basically like a game of... I can't think of the name. Is it Space Invaders, Tom? Space Invaders. So so in this game, you basically play uh, little cardboard pogs that are colored to your ship, and you, you're, a, I guess, a pilot into this fleet, and the world, the Earth is being attacked by these alien ships. The alien ships are represented by a set of cards, which each have unique properties on them, and they're laid out onto a little grid that's uh, in front of you in the, on the table. Uh, you and the people playing with you go to the end of the table, basically, and use this little launch pad, as they call it, or as it is, just a block of wood, to place your pog on it and thump or flip the ship of yours off onto, hopefully, landing on one of those cards. You can use the edge of the table, right, I think? Yes, you could use the edge of the table as well. But who would? Who would do that? Yeah, yeah, when you got a launch pad. What I missed saying was there's a mothership in the back, and that's really the heart of the game. It's a small box that you build out of the components, cardboard components, 
and if you can ring that box, you do damage to the mothership, and that's the whole point of the game. Um, in the end of the rounds, you try to take take out the ships coming down, Space Invader style, um, to attack the planet, and the ones you don't take out do damage to the Earth, and ultimately you have to take down the mothership within a series of about, in our experience, Tom, it plays in about four rounds, I would say, usually. Um, with four players, or how many? With four players. I've only played it with four players. But okay. each time we go through rounds, it's um, it's usually about four full rounds of four players. But It's a lot more rounds for two players, as you would imagine. I, I would think so, yeah. I could see benefits of playing it in four-player. I've thought about that, the balancing issues of it. but I think they balance it out pretty good, because they, they adjust your starting like health and and location and all that pretty good like many board games it's easier to play than you could even imagine or explain kind of when you see it on the table and see someone play it you can get anyone into it very very fast Uh, it's got a unique neat aesthetic to it to it in fact something that's very corny but I, i think it's awesome is the even the name on the box is flip ships but it's designed in such a font that it reads flip ships no, no matter which way you flip the box. But what we're missing about talking about the game that I really think makes the game a game... Powers. Yeah, absolutely. Each person, as you... Actually, as you take damage, you unlock additional powers and additional ships. These power-ups really range, and they're random. There's basically four cards of three different levels. In a four-player game, you get all the powers. Well, each person does. Uh, you get one power per person per that level. I wanted to try to highlight some of those powers, but there's it's it's easy to forget some. But one of the some of the simpler ones are, you hit a ship and you can take out any ship in that line. So therefore, if you land on one that someone else has already landed on, instead of double hitting the ship, you can say you hit one one or two cards over these ships, which are displayed in card form, have power ups and movement speed to them that are random depending on how fast they're going to hit and how much damage they're going to hit and shields uh, or some of them take two hits. I think my favorite power-up actually is the lasers. You can basically, it comes with a little measuring card and your pog might land uh, maybe an inch away from a card, but if you have that power-up, you can shoot the ship up to a card distance. So um, again, as I'm saying, it takes a really simple concept, dexterity, flipping pogs, um, to another level when you have these power-ups. Yeah, the the first time I played it was with my kids, you know, here at my house. And, you know, we got it. I'd heard great things about it, and I, I bought it, and I pulled it out, got it set up. And I'm reading through the rules, and I'm like, okay, you know, we'll just kind of get to them when we get to them. And um, we started playing, and I was just kind of like, eh, you know, like, this is this is okay. You know, this is this is interesting. Like, it's a dexterity game, but I was, I was not impressed at all. Then that first power-up came out, and I was like, oh this changes everything and i was like this game is amazing and we had so much fun with it you know like and then the next power up comes out like you said and you kind of level up or whatever you know get the next level of ships and yeah it's like such a such a good feeling and you know so simple too like it just seems like seems like this game should have been made years and years ago and yeah yeah but it just come out in 2017 yeah, yeah, it's so good. Um, not that it's dated. I'm just saying, like, it's such a great idea. Like, you'd think somebody would have came up with it, but it's, like, such a simple concept and, you know, like, these, like, dexterity powers. And maybe there are other dexterity games out there that do do similar things, but I'm not a dexterity game player by any means. I've only ever played a few. 
but I got nothing but good things to say about it. Yeah, I've always been tempted to buy different dexterity games, but this is one I've seen played, played with you guys at GnomeCon, and probably within 15 minutes bought the game <laughs> off yeah. of the display there at GnomeCon, and uh, it constantly rides in my bag of games when I bring games somewhere because it's an easy game to get people involved in. It has a good table presence, too. Like People walk up and they're like, what's going on with all this? You know, it's like... You see, you know, any dexterity game, you know, usually you see people yeah. flipping something. I'd like to play Flick 'em Up. I've never played that. Yeah. So that's one I was thinking of when I said that yeah. I don't have much experience with it. But on your turn, you have, you know, start with maybe two pogs. Uh, you might end, I think there's a total of six. I think six is right. But you're, um, you can take those and shoot for the mothership. By doing so, you're not hitting any other invading ships below, and therefore you're really putting the weight of the damage on other people to slow down the ship. It's good if you're the fourth person and most ships have been taken out. You might can, you know, it's an easy choice to shoot for the mothership, but ultimately someone has to shoot for the mothership, or else the game you you will lose. Super super fun game. I can't say enough great about it, but uh, I thought it was worth. You know, re-mentioning and kind of going a little more in depth about um, though it's a simple game, it's worth playing. What about you, Tom? What you, what have you been playing? What have I not been playing? Exactly. <laughs> oh my God! I, yeah, I've just been gaming more this year than I ever have. But um, I actually what I'm really excited about is we played Rising Sun. I'm probably gonna be doing a like almost a dedicated episode <laughs> to it. So we had a great time with it. But on the same same game day, had um, a couple guys come over and. We got it, and we played Champions of Midgard again. It was the first time either of them had ever played it, but it's the first time I've gotten it back to the table, maybe since Dice Tower Con. I'm not sure, but it's been a while, well overdue. I've played it on Tabletop Simulator, but such a great game. Um, I know everybody everybody and their brother has you know, reviewed and talked about this game. I just definitely wanted to you know, give my two cents about it. For those of you that might not know, Champions of Midgard, it is a worker placement game. It's set in the you know, Viking theme. Gray Fox Games. Well, the designer is Ole, O-L-E, Steinus. Anyway, if you ever played Lords of Waterdeep, it gets compared to it pretty much constantly. I don't think anybody's ever talked about Champions of Midgard in a review kind of setting without comparing it to Lords of Waterdeep. It does have a lot of those similarities. A lot of people say it replaced lords of Waterdeep. not for me i think they're they're well different enough you know I, I think they coexist perfectly fine they don't really overlap in my head that much but the idea is everybody is a i guess a single clan or you pretty much just have a leader um, you don't really have like i guess you have the workers but everybody has a unique character with a unique like power so it's not really asymmetrical but it's you know definitely like a unique powers kind of thing there's just a ton of spots on the board the board's broken up into three sections and the the middle part is the main you know island i call it to call it or mainland or whatever and it just has all these spaces normal stuff like you can go to a place and get these dice the whole game is based around these dice there's your warriors so each dice is a or each die is a warrior and on like each character each person player can have up to eight warriors at a time and they're all different colors so you've got white red and black they're like the swordsman the spearmen and the axemen i think are the three like base colors and we played with both expansions too but i might not i'm probably just go over them slightly at the end but 
Um, so basically, you're just going around and you know doing taking these actions to to gather these dice, and then there are runes that are like these cards. You can you know you go to you go to the rune smith and you take a card, and the 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 rune will um it's like a one time power you know that you can like it's face up until you use it and you just turn it over face down and that's it for the whole game. And then there's the the place you can go, the Jarl's Longhouse, I think is what it's called. You, the only reason I remember that is that my character had something special. Like that was her, their special ability was going there. But that's how you like take the start player marker, but you also get um, a, a warrior, you know, kind of like a little bonus. And then there's like a market and there's all kinds of little spaces. Just your standard worker placement kind of stuff. There's, oh, so another big part of the game is these destiny cards. So they're kind of like your quests whatever like you get bonus points at the end of the game and so everybody starts with one that's like face down or in their hand you're like nobody you don't show it to anyone they're always secret but you can you can like acquire more of those with a space on the on the board um so you're you're basically you use the mainland to like build up your supplies there's food wood and then your warriors oh and gold you know so you got gold or you know money so you um you do all that you're building up your supplies but the whole point of the game is fighting these monsters. And so at the top of the board is like the mountains. And there are hunting grounds that are there, like in the woods below the mountains, that you can just go to get food, you know, just hunt food. But then there's a troll. And so you, you can choose to fight the troll. And all of these are still like worker placement actions, you know, so you just choose to, you know, put your meeple down to fight the troll. And um, once everybody signs all their dice, then you have like the, the fight phase after that. So you kind of like claim, I'm going to fight the troll this turn. And then once everybody's done with their placement, then you go through and actually fight the stuff. But um, anyway, so the troll is going to attack the village every round. And so what's cool about that is whoever um, kills the troll, whoever fights the troll, only one player can, he gets to take a blame token, which is basically negative points at the end of the game. Um, so actually he gets to discard one of his blame tokens, and then he gets to assign a blame token to another player. So there's a little bit of fun there. But if no one fights the troll, then everyone gets a blame token. And it's the blame tokens are like, it's that system, you know, where like one blame token is minus one point, two is minus three, and then it goes up really fast. It's like seven, 13, you know, it gets really, um, really expensive, you know, the more blame tokens you get. And then, so that's how the troll works. And then if you, there's these droggers, I think is what they're called. Yeah, I think that's how you pronounce it. They're basically like zombies or like undead. They're in the mountains. And you can fight those. And they're primarily to get gold and things like that. And then, but kind of the, the big points are the south of the board. So the south end of the board is a big, you know, I guess like ocean. And you can basically get a ship. You can charter a, a ship, like a public ship. Or you can build your own through one of the other placements. And you set sail across the ocean with all your with a certain number of warriors and and food and supplies, and you're gonna fight these crazy monsters that are you know off on these like this. I don't know if it's supposed to be like Midgard and gotta help me on Norse mythology. Is it is it Utgard? I can't remember. But the one where like all the monsters are like outside of Midgard. I kind of think that's what it's supposed to be. But these are just like you know fantasy crazy Norse monsters and they're worth like way more points. So you have to like charter these boats across. And so you have to like make it across the sea 
and there's like these little event cards that pop up and they're face down and so you don't know what they are which there's a action on the mainland list you peek at one so that's always good you can kind of peek at just one of them and then you can kind of plan around that and try to either go there or avoid it if it's something bad but those event cards can be good or bad so it's like lose a food or lose a warrior or maybe the kraken comes up and you have to fight him before you can even fight the monster and you have to feed your warriors so if you don't have enough food by the time you cross the ocean you you know they starve and they die or whatever but um but it's really really simple like there's it's one of those games where if you ever played lords of Waterdeep or stone age even um trying to think of some other worker placements like that but lords of Waterdeep, if if when you first look at it it can be a little overwhelming because there's just so many spaces and so many options that's kind of how champions looks at first but once you get going it just it's just like it's the perfect balance of worker placement because every time every turn you're like i want to do everything like that's just how it feels uh, agricola or something's another good one that i kind of feel is that way it's like every turn i need to do everything you know i need more wor- workers i need more um warriors I, I'd, I'd love to get another destiny card I, uh, I gotta have food and i need wood to get the rune you know and it's just you know you want everything but it's a finite number of turns there's only eight rounds if you're playing um four players i think you get three workers each three you know meeples or whatever so if you don't upgrade which you can go to a worker hut and get an additional worker just one but um so if you don't do that you're only going to have like 24 actions and that's the whole game you know so it's actually plays pretty quickly um but that's that's pretty much the game you know so you're just building up your your warriors you know warriors and your supplies so you can cross this ocean and and fight these monsters for glory and gold and other stuff and um i just really enjoyed it. it's just so well done the expansions they added dark mountains i don't remember the name of it i think it's dark mountains anyway the mountain expansion added archers and basically there's these giants in the mountains and it's similar to instead of crossing the river i mean the ocean you have to go up the mountain and there's event cards but you don't need a boat so you can just go there without a boat so it's a little easier there but um, you have to pay gold. So instead of food, like your people starving, you basically the events and things usually make you lose gold, and you have to pay your your warriors, like you're hiring people, I guess, to to go up to the mountains or something. So it's more expensive. Like it's all gold based instead of food based. But um, it's just more you know more options, and I like it a lot. But but what really um is the seller here is the Valhalla expansion, and I think I talked about it in the, the Golden Geek episode. I thought it should have gotten best expansion is because this game is great the base game's great i will absolutely never play it without the valhalla expansion if if it's available you know what i mean it's just like the problems with this game is the dice rolling like the combat when you actually i didn't explain that at all but it's not a big of a deal so you so like you got you got hits and shields and blanks that's all that's on any of the dice the enemies are just like health and damage and their damage just makes you lose a dice like dice dies or whatever if he's got three health and you did two damage and he did one one damage you know simultaneously then you're going to lose one of those dice but then he took two damage so then you roll what's left you just keep rolling over and over round after round until the enemy dies or until you're out of dice one of those two things happens it's just it's just really slick and and fast like the the combat's super easy and not a problem at all but anyway so the big problem with this game that a lot of people complained about was the the rolling is like you could just be steamrolling your opponent you could just have all build up these huge like great expensive dice 
and go into a battle and just start rolling and just just do really horrible and you really get nothing for it. It's not so much that, of course, any kind of dice rolling, there's going to be randomness and stuff like that. But it's like you spent all this time and all these resources and then you just, you know, got unlucky. Well, then they could be doing other things like destiny cards and runes and they could they could be catching up, kind of playing suboptimally but taking the luck out of it, you know, and some people just call that strategy. But anyway, the point of it is they added the Valhalla expansion. And what that does is every time you lose a dice, so every time one of your warriors die, you just get a um, little token that matches that color dice. And then basically after every fight, you're able to purchase like upgrades or these other special dice that came in the expansion, in the Valhalla expansion, they added three new dice type and they're really cool. But I won't get into all the details, but they just added this little like, and what what's cool about it too is it's after your turn, so it doesn't even add any time to the game really, because like my combat's over, and so I'm gonna come up here to the Valhalla, and I'm gonna be you know looking around and seeing what I can buy with all my tokens. Well, the other person goes ahead and starts because none of that affects them until they unless they're fighting, and then it doesn't affect them until their turn's over anyway. So it doesn't really add any time to the game. But if you are building up this huge army and you have you, you you're kind of getting all these dice and then you're unlucky, you're getting these tokens and you're going to be able to buy these cards and these you know more victory points or more upgrades for your stuff and and that, I just think that solved every complaint with this game and just really made it such a better game. And actually, they offer a like deluxe version now that has both um, um, both expansions built into it, a lot cheaper than what I paid for it, and it comes with like some bonus stuff that's only in that deluxe version so champions of midgard love this game i don't i don't see myself ever getting rid of it i think it's going to be a staple for a very long time um, it's probably in my top 10 or 15 games all time i don't know if i like lords of water deep or champions of midgard better so don't ask me i'm not going to pick <laughs> but i like them equally they're just different games you know it's really fun you really do get that you get that feeling of just euro worker placement with the great great viking you know theme and i really like that and that's one of my favorite themes and you got the dice chunking and combat and fighting trolls so it's like these these three things that are just all up my alley and they just they blend and meld just so well it's almost a 10 it's a great game if you like worker placement at all or if you've ever played lords of water deep and you like that kind of stuff then it's a it's a must try probably a must buy yeah, that game, it sounds interesting. Uh, you know, I've played a lot of um, the Dungeon Dragon, the um, Lords of Waterdeep game, and that's probably some of the biggest extent I've had in worker placement, but haven't taken the leap and tried that game, but your description just now made me definitely interested. Yeah, we don't we don't have any excuse not to play this game because it has an excellent copy or version on tabletop. We played it the other night, me and Ryan. And so, if nothing else, we can get it in on there. But it has such a table presence, too. And it's so much fun throwing all those, you know, crazy colored dice. And they all work different. And um, it is, it is you know, I definitely recommend it in person as well, though. It's, it definitely is fun. Well, you know, listening along to you talking about it, I pulled up an image. And obviously, as you said, I can see how you couldn't begin explaining it without talking about uh, the Lord's Waterdeep because even the board, there's similarities to it for sure. The, mm-hmm. I mean, the theme is its own for sure. I was very interested in how the parts maybe work together about getting the materials, the wood, the food. Sounds like a different structure because in Lord's Waterdeep, as you know, it's just go here and 
you're basically collecting uh, the type of fighters that you need to complete missions. But it sounds like a definitely a neat little twist on worker placement. I see why you call it a must try. Sounds like good decisions, as you kind of mentioned. Uh, that's definitely what you want in a uh, worker placement game. You want to have a little bit of paralysis on what to choose, though. You know, you want to choose quickly, but a little bit of, you know, risk-reward. You got to decide, do I want to get one more piece of food, or can I go ahead and set out on that adventure? Uh, If you don't, then usually I assume this is the same way. If someone else takes that spot, if someone takes that ship, then it's it's gone. Definitely be something we'll be trying uh, next time we get together, or like you said, tabletop sounds like a good option too. Anything else you've been playing, Tom? No, I don't think so. I mean, I've been playing a lot of games, but we don't have enough time to go through them all. We'll get to them eventually. Sounds good. Let's get to the topic. Yeah, I'm excited about this. Let's go. time for our main topic and i'm excited about this one this one's um pretty interesting a little different than i think anything else we've done so far on the show but um we're cu- we're titling this the perception of a board gamer and that's gonna mean a couple different things i think before we're done talking but um hugh this is definitely in your wheelhouse your job and you're in social work right that's what you have a degree in correct yes yes i have a master's in social work and really my undergrad was in sociology anthropology so a lot of classes in sociology and psychology. Definitely, I don't consider myself an expert, but you're definitely qualified to have this discussion <laughs> with me. Maybe. So. <laughs> well, I have I have no degree in anything related whatsoever to social. All of my um, education is in math and IT. So it it does it is interesting, and uh, it's because I I love to study people's interaction, how really things work in the world, uh, how people work, and. It's no uh, no hidden secret that that's complicated and uh, not just easy, not an easy answer, but we definitely can go over some concepts relating from that. You know, I don't want to get too deep, but we'll go in to talk a little bit about, you know, some buzzwords, words out of uh, psychology, sociology. Let's break this topic down a little bit before we start. Me and you definitely, (laughs) we have a tendency to just go on and on about some stuff, and I want us to both... Maybe we can stay on track a little bit better than than we're famous for. So what do we mean by the perception of a board game? Give me like a quick overview of what our topic is about, like the, the multiple meanings there. Just what what are we what are we talking about here? Well really, Tom, I think it's I think we can say that's cut and dry. The perception of a board game, that's between we all hold our own perceptions and everybody out in the world holds a perception. So what do we see or what do we think when we hear Tom is a board gamer. What comes to mind? So like what the mainstream media perception of board gamers are, maybe what, just how you perceive yourself as a board gamer, maybe how you perceive certain types of games or gamers. Like we talked about the miniatures painting and that kind of stuff. I mean, like within the hobby, you know, within the community of, of gaming. I mean, that's kind of what I'm thinking is like along the same lines of what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we just have to pick a place and begin. We can probably start with talking about uh, the way the world, or I say world, the the 
the mainstream, the larger movies and TV. Exactly, exactly. That's where we see it. Every D and D game you've ever seen <laughs> on on a TV show or a movie yes. is, you know, a lot of times are just super dorky and nerdy. They're in a basement, and yeah. I mean, I've never played. I've never been in a basement, and I've never right. worn a robe or anything when we played D and D. You know, but there aren't many basements in South Georgia, so we can't go to the basement. Yeah, I'd probably be in a basement if I if I had a basement, <laughs> but if you could choose to, right. I think it's no, it's not a shortage or it's nothing new for board games. You know, you you mentioned the keyword there, the nerdiness of it. Um, seems like everything is on a spectrum nowadays. Uh, how nerdy, how uh, uncool or something it is. But I think nowadays uh, the nerd culture culture is cool. But there's still a lot of misconceptions from false perception of what it means to to play board games. I mean, Tom, do you do you feel like you have to explain yourself if you talk to somebody new to the hobby or a new person at work um, and they say, hey, Tom, what what did you do this weekend? Do you say, well, I got together with my wife and some friends and we played Sherlock Holmes for four hours? Yeah, I mean, personally, yeah, that's what I do. I guess maybe maybe when we had Chloe, our second daughter, you know, we got three kids. Probably somewhere around the time I had my second child. I don't know, like, that's when I re- really got in deeper into board games. So I don't know if that is a direct effect or just a correlation. But somewhere along those lines, don't get me wrong, I mean, I, I take pride in my work and I, I care about my appearance in a professional setting. I'm, it's not that I don't care about important things or my what people think of me or my perception i definitely had like a moment somewhere along the lines where i just quit worrying about what people thought of me and i i gotta tell you it was very freeing and i because i actually dealt with a lot of like anxiety and stuff and self-esteem kind of stuff in high school which was good because it was very short-lived because me and lauren you know started dating when i was what 14 you know so um so i've been married since i was in middle school basically so that kind of took a lot of pressure didn't have to worry about you know the drama of high school dating and anything like that because i found her at such an early age but but i definitely dealt with like some social you know issues and pressures when i was young and i think that that was just like so freeing for me and I, I think that's really carried over with board games but i know it's a real deal so i'm not just dismissing it by any means but um but yeah i mean i <laughs> i don't hide anything i mean there are a couple like maybe a couple professional settings where somebody might like bring something up where i could mention something and maybe i've held back a little bit i don't know very very few situations pretty much yeah i mean everybody at work knows i play board games and i i, I tell them all the time and they get tired of hearing it well, I think you got to the heart of the issue and why I think it was important to discuss. And and it does sometimes coincide with age. You know, as we age, we do start caring a little less about what others think. And uh, But, you know, I, I was going to say some of our listeners probably aren't at the stage or they are dealing with some of those social anxieties because that's really what we're talking about is uh, a lot of what others perceive and then again how we perceive it ourselves based on what others are seeing. I want to restate that because it's not that I don't care what people think. It's that I think I've, like you said, gotten older and I've, maybe I've matured and me personally realized what's important and what matters. You know, like that's a better way to say it. Like I realize now if someone's going to judge you because of a hobby, they're probably not worth your time, is my opinion. 
that makes sense. Absolutely, absolutely, and and I think that's the healthy point you want to strive for. I I think it's important again because we all at different levels fall to it. And again, I want to. We probably should have said this at the beginning, but it's no shame thing. Um, and some people have more of it or less of it. You know, um, some people even as teenagers are, you know, maybe all their friends play D and D and they play D and D and. I think pretty unanimously most of us have had at least a point to where even within your family they don't really understand what you do and kind of back to the beginning talking about media I told you earlier before recording no matter what hobby I think you're in there's going to be points where the media portrays it in a negative light or in a light that really shows that they don't understand oftentimes both board games and video games are unfortunately some of some of the most egregious showings of undelightful attributes of gamers, I guess, if you want to lump it into one title. And I think that's that's okay. And you, and I think really what we're going to get to, um, if, if I do have a message about it, is that to understand you're never going to change someone else's perspective. We can do all the advocacy and all the work we want to do. You can help change someone's perspective, but you yourself can't change how someone else views a situation or views you. So ultimately, that doesn't matter. But it takes a lot of maturity and a lot of time to get to that point, Tom. Yeah, well, I appreciate the compliments. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, I think I think um, it's very similar. And I think it's maybe, I'm not sure, maybe it's the same conversation. I'm not sure. But I do choose my words wisely and I'm very careful with how I, I do tell someone that I'm a hobbyist, you know, board gamer, whatever you want to call it. And like if a couple came over and I'm meeting them for the first time, like for a dinner here at our home, I don't just immediately go, Hey, Hey, you want to come look into my man cave and see my 200 board games? You know, that's not what I open up with. That's never because of I'm ashamed or anything like that. My brain's going, Hmm, new meat. you know, it's like, I might can convert this guy into a board gamer, right? This might be my next, um, twilight Imperium player, you know, or whatever. I might could get in a game of Mage Knight. It might be his favorite game. So I'm always like, tactfully trying to choose my words like i said not that i'm worried about their perception of me i'm just trying to you get what i'm saying i'm, I'm choosing my words wisely not to scare them off and i think that that's what's getting at. there's a lot of similarity there of why would they get scared off exactly is because they would look at that as whoa he's off the deep end you know he but but you could say that with a lot of hobbies and if anybody is if i had a room full of bugs pinned to get to the wall like what's his name on CSI, you know, I mean, that would probably weird some people out, you know, might want to start with just like a, you know, a butterfly book or something, yeah. not the whole room. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that's what casual games and party games are for, right. To, and, right. and gateway games to pull somebody in the hobby. So, yeah. And, and we spoke about that before, you know, that's a, you right on the nail on the head. Exactly. Uh, why, uh, there's a need for gateway games is to introduce people without overwhelming them. But I, I think there's sometimes even more to that than we realize, Tom. Uh, like so many other things uh, in the human psyche, we, we just, we suppress things. Or sometimes what, you know, there may be at the heart of it, 90% of it is you don't want to overwhelm them. But there's a 10% or at least a small fracture there still of you not being accepted by them or um, at least not understanding their perspective. Of a, of a gamer 
So therefore, you before you understand maybe how they're going to take it, you're not going to be as um, open. Yeah, kind of kind of filling them out, like where are they at on the the spectrum or the scale, like you're saying. Like, I, I agree with that. I mean, like I said, but I feel like my intentions are always purely selfish. I'm just trying to uh, try to convert them into a board gamer because I have when I first got into it, like. I made that huge mistake. I mean, I was, I did that so many times, like right when I got into it, I'm like, you know, this is awesome. You know, this is the best thing ever. This is better than video games. It's better than whatever. I was just, board games were just it for me. And I had like 10 or 12 games, right? I was just an evangelist, you know, like everywhere I went, I'm taking my board games. I have like my whole collection in the back of my truck ready to go. And, you know, uh, I think I scared quite a few people off from the hobby. So you you can all thank me for, for, you know, ruining a couple, you know, potential gamers, you know, lives there probably. But, but, you know, I think we've all been guilty of that to an extent, but I was just so excited and just wanted to share all this stuff with people. And, you know, I think it's an art of, introducing someone to a hobby like this and not you know anything like that i mean if it was model airplanes or trains you know i mean it'd be the same kind of thing you don't just shove trains down someone's throat you know you have to baby steps their social cues and and passion is scary sometimes and uh as we get into a hobby uh no matter what it be it might be as you said train train collecting or model making whatever it may be once you get excited about it we want to tell others about it, and you get this passionate delivery where you want to to just talk about it, and uh, right. <laughs> that's um, it's not always other people's interest. And honestly, that's that's the main purpose of this podcast, and I think it's been very therapeutic for me. I mean, I'm not doing this to get famous or anything. I mean, I'm u- mostly using this as a way to just really be able to talk about board games in a you know, structured setting. And I kind of, it kind of is a release for me. And, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed doing it. We do talk about board games a lot. We're playing them or whatever, but you know, you actually made that comment in a totally separate conversation before we started recording, had nothing to do with the show, but saying, would we, you know, that I would rather be playing a game than doing this podcast right now, you know, and, and I actually, that's not the case, you know, because, and I think I opened your eyes when I told you how many games I'd played this year. Yes. You're probably thinking you're probably sick of games, but, um, but yeah, that, uh, this is just such a cool outlet for me to, to talk about stuff, but yeah. let's talk about more personal. I don't know if this was going to fit into your discussion here, but I wanted to talk about other side of the coin. When have we personally been guilty of perceiving something yeah. in a negative light? Yeah. I- I want to get into those accounts as well, Cause I, but I think you can't get to there without first expressing the basis that we did before about the over overall appearance, because they kind of, though they're separate, they go hand in hand. What I'm going to say might baffle someone, but I, I doubt it. Um, no person lives in a vacuum, therefore we're all affected by those uh, appearances, those stigmas. We don't hold them anymore. At one point, we're at least affected by them. Maybe didn't experience it exactly the same, but we all have gotten those ideas that D&D is nerdy from somewhere. There are people out there that were raised up on D&D, you know, and that just never crossed their mind. I'm, 
I listened to the Secret Cabal. Cabal it's one of my favorite podcasts, and they were on the Lords of the Dungeon. We were talking about it before too. On one of their episodes, they had that conversation because it's like this group of guys or part of the group has been playing D and D or some kind of role playing game for like twenty years, you know, and like they talked about how like all of that, like kind of what we're referring to, just didn't exist to them. Like they played D and D through the seventies and eighties, and or at least in the early eighties, and like never saw that like never once did anyone ever make fun of them no one like they're like oh what are y'all doing oh that's cool you know because it's like i I think sometimes maybe that is extremely exaggerated in in the media you know film and tv and maybe people aren't as as judgmental and it might just depend on like different areas of the country and maybe back then when it first came out that was exciting you know like maybe when it was new enough that it hadn't developed that that stigma you know what i mean I say this, and it's such a coin term. If anybody's ever took sociology classes or social work classes, uh, I mentioned it before, but you can't take a person out of their environment. And so, therefore, we all are, our perspectives are colored by the environment. And in order to understand where someone's coming from, we have to first understand that. I kind of think of it like, you remember when we made dioramas in uh, in elementary yeah. school? Uh, you know, until you see that diorama around somebody, you really can't understand their interactions. or Walking a mile in their shoes kind of thing. As, exactly, exactly. And so... Yeah, I'm good at dumbing it down for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> can't, we just can't take it, we can't take it for granted that our experiences are the same as everyone's, though we like to. Um, we like yeah. to place our thoughts out there broad strokes for everyone it's it's not like that tell me tell me a little bit about about your stigmas about how it's played a part in your life about the perspectives do you um were there things that your your own perspectives held you back from doing sure yeah definitely D D or any kind of role-playing game i mean that was not that i was judging these people or thought any less of them. i mean I, I had friends in middle school and high school that you know, played D and D, which I didn't even know what D and D was then, probably, but I knew that they played something like that. You know, I didn't understand what it was. Honestly, you're probably gonna point out something, and that's a big part of it. When you don't understand something, what's new and unknown, people usually have a negative, you know, reaction to it. But I, I definitely, I've always been whatever into, you know, sci-fi and games, video games, that kind of stuff. So I've always been nerdy, I guess, whatever you want to call it. But but yeah, like I always thought that that was like something I would never do. Like I just was like, well, that's just, that's not me. You know, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not that nerdy. Like I've said that before, you know, like, oh, I'm not, I've never played Dungeons and Dragons because I'm not that nerdy. And I said the same thing about like within the last five years, you know, like after I was into board games, people like talking about painting miniatures same thing i'm like well you know yeah i play board games but i'm not that nerdy right i don't i don't i don't paint miniatures that's crazy you know i had those whatever you want to call them, stigmas or or whatever about those things but it was all coming out of ignorance you know like that i think that's a big part of all this is when you're ignorant about something you don't know what to think a lot of people jump to conclusions and that's what i was doing so like I mean, gosh, the first time I played D&D, I was like, I was so mad at myself, you know, I'm like, I, I could have been playing this, you know, since I was, you know, 10 years old, right? I mean, my girls are, well, Jada's nine, when, when she was six, she was playing a Star Wars campaign with me doing a little um, RP game. So, I mean, they're going to grow up having all these options for sure. I don't know. I guess that's what I'm getting at is I didn't understand what D&D was. I didn't know how much fun it was and how 
great that system is. And it's no different than any other kind of game. You know, I mean, it's it's a very unique game, but it's not in another category by any means. It's just like any other you know, kind of game. And the same thing with miniature painting. I mean, that's been some of the most fun I've had, you know, just painted those um, tentacles this past week. And like you said, it's almost therapeutic, you know, just sitting back and relaxing and, you know, I've really enjoyed it. And I have a respect for these guys that do this and have done it for years. I mean, I, I want to kick myself for not trying all this stuff sooner. You said an interesting word there Would you, the right word is ignorance, meaning, you know, the lack of education, lack of understanding on something. And those two things, unfortunately, ignorance and opinions are not uh, differentiated. Everyone can have an opinion even with ignorance, and we all do. We all hold opinions about things we have no idea. And and I, I throw it out as judgment sometimes, because sometimes it is. Um, sometimes it's much more innocent. We can have... Yeah, judgment's the word. You're, you're judging You're judging something there, like what the game is or, or what the situation is. Even if you're not like judging the person for it, you, you are making a judgment about it, right? Absolutely. And, and, and we still, to this day, I still hold some things that, um, you know, I, I, I don't venture into. I hold a respect for some of them more so, but... Like what? Because I th- I think I've lost all that. I, I mean, name something that you think I would never do. Let me let me see. <laughs> that you would never do? Spitfire. Yeah. Well, something's too nerdy for me. Let's do it. Let's do it. Goodness, Tom, that's hard to answer for you. For for Tom, is this a compliment or an insult? There's nothing too nerdy for you. <laughs> like LARPing. That's something that is probably like that's something I've never done. You know, and that's definitely something before. You know, years ago that I would have yeah. been like, mm, yeah. nah. I'm never going to do that. But, but shoot, I mean, we're not that far from that. And if it was like us and our group, you know, I mean, I think that would be fun, you know, and whatever. I'm just saying, like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I'm not judging those people. They're probably having a blast. I mean, that's, that's so close to like the cosplay. And, you know, I mean, it's, you know, that they're, they're, they're really close together. They're related, you know, they're not the same by, by any means, but, you know, I could, I could see that. But isn't it so interesting, Tom, that we build a hierarchy or a a a level of nerdness just in just without without any? I mean, it's just a universal held thing of. Well, I say universal, of course, where all all of ours would be a different slope, but I think they would be similar. Maybe because we have some similar socialization into it, but uh, we would all hold similar. You know, there's no doubt that across the board and even inside nerd culture you know larping is explaining larping larping is live action role playing so it's like another step past D &D or something like that to where you're actually acting out and that's the thing about it is it's not it's not another step you know and that's what's so eye-opening to me is i fell to my own i fell to my own devices there tom right right that's the point you're hitting the nail on the head i mean nobody faults you for that because i definitely was the same way like you said like almost like a hierarchy you know like well well, this is nerdier than that you know and or whatever but i hate to keep i keep using nerdy like it's derogatory i mean i don't know i mean I, i throw it around because i openly call myself nerdy you know i'm not i don't i I hope nobody's taking it that way i'm not but like role-playing there's a lot of role-playing games that i really really would like to explore that are completely like conversationally based there's like no dice there's no i mean there's there might be like character sheets and stuff but there's no like math or you know it's just literally like role-playing just talking you know so uh, I'm, I'm trying to think like fiasco fiasco is pretty much like that and we've played it i don't you haven't i don't guess but um that that's just like 
that's more like creative t- storytelling. But I mean, it's, that's the most similar thing I can think of. I mean, there are dice, but it's like it's you're not rolling to see if you're successful at all. You you know, it's totally different. But um, but what I'm getting at is Fiasco is a game that lots of people play. It's very popular. It's almost more of a party type game. Like, don't get me wrong, it's not. But I'm just saying it's it's kind of viewed that way. Like, you can get non-gamers to play Fiasco, right? But that is not that far from LARPing, live-action role-playing, because that's literally just D&D or a role-playing game without dice. You know, you're just using your conversation, and then the next step of that is, well, you're actioning. You know, you're out there physically acting it out. So, I mean, I, I could, like I said, I could see it being fun. Yeah, and, and, you know, how many times have you introduced somebody to the hobby or introduced somebody to a new game, and you can realize it's that step? For them? For them is that step and they're like wow i did not expect to be that just as we we're saying we did and and for me it was D as well um i don't know why i i couldn't pinpoint to you where someone told me that D is this line i have to confess through high school uh, it was a line i knew people who dnd'd i wasn't against them i wasn't a bully or someone in school that went out and picked on the guys but it was just a line that like that's what they do i I, i'm here on the nerd (laughs) spectrum i'm here on the line uh ryan brought to us that he wanted to do a campaign and we tried it out and just like you i was like well wow there's there's something here (laughs) why have we not done this so fifth edition was the first one that you ever played yes yeah so you were new, like the first game we played was was the first game? Absolutely. Both of us? Yeah. Okay, okay. So yeah, you're right there with me then. So I think that we actually came in on on the coattails of, of Giants or whatever they say because our first experience could have been way different um, if we weren't playing 5th edition. Just knowing what I know about it is so easy and it's so accessible. You know, I think that a lot of people that when it first came out didn't like it. 4th edition was just so complicated. You know, I just I never played it, but that's just what I've gathered. But when fifth edition came out, it's so streamlined. I mean, I would I would bring in how long do you think it would take to to teach a somewhat of a board gamer D and mean, fifteen minutes? To get started, yeah, in a basic campaign, yeah, no time. I mean, maybe like however long it takes to make the character, you know, which is ten, fifteen minutes, you know. You know, so it's like it's such an easy, accessible game. Like I said, my first game, I had trouble enjoying the game and trouble concentrating because I was literally angry during the first game at myself because I was having so much fun and it was so cool and so easy. I was like, why have I never tried this? You know, I was just like so upset with myself and it was just like that aha moment that I had that I was like, I was just wrong or ignorant is the word you know i mean i just keep going back to that i just didn't know that how much fun it could be you know yeah i play a lot nerdier games than that (laughs) you know like if you want to think like complexity and you know i mean shoot mage knight like if you're trying to make nerdiness some sort of you know quantifiable number it's way worse than D &D, you know what i mean yeah and i i think uh i think culture also plays a bit in this we have to probably touch base on but i i think we're also as you're saying a lot of these things are being streamlined but our american cultures we're talking about has changed a lot really recently too to where as i mentioned early on being a nerd 
quote-unquote, is not a derogatory thing anymore to us and to most people. And I think it's changed, uh, I mean, look at the largest grossing movies, as I say, it's, it's comic book themed movies. You know, right now, we're at the kind of height of probably the best accepted nerd culture has ever been, but still there are, um, we still hold stick. I think two two important things that really come out of this conversation, because we could really talk all night because it is such an interesting thing but i think two important things that come out of it is uh, you know one to just have an understanding that people's perspectives are different and maybe two don't let don't let your perspectives or others perspectives kind of hold you back um always be willing to kind of push that line and if it's not for you it's not for you but don't let a perspective hold you back from um from something that you want to do or could even might not even could imagine that it would be uh your your new favorite hobby i think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you're talking about more maturity and stuff than i mean i think the ignorance definitely plays a big part of it but but the maturity and like personally like for yourself like the self-confidence and and that kind of stuff i think that definitely plays a role because that's something that i deal with my kids you know i'm trying to remember it was jada she was having a birthday party I don't remember what it was. It wasn't Star Wars. She's our Star Wars, you know, just fanatic. And that's cool to, because, like you said, like, that's kind of that mainstream thing now. It's like, of course, everybody loves Star Wars. So it wasn't wasn't weird at all. You know, she had a Star Wars birthday party. She had multiple Star Wars birthday parties. And everybody loves it, all the kids. But, but there was something. She wanted a theme for her birthday party. She was like, this is the kind of party I want, you know, mom and dad. She sits us down. She's like, you know, I want to do this. You know, and she had made her decision. And I was like, that's great. And, um, oh, it was Harry Potter. It was Harry Potter. She had read the books. She's, you know, she's... Uh, my daughter's a genius she's you know number one in her class she won like the school thing last year for reading the most books in the school and all so she's a book nerd right but um so she had read all or maybe not all but read a few of the harry potters at that time and she was really excited about it um my brother-in-law her uncle he's a big big harry potter fan and so he was really you know he'd let her borrow his books and you know it was just a big thing for us even though it was you know obviously really dated you know for the time but um, she wanted to have a Harry Potter party. And I was like, that's cool. It's great. We can do all kinds of stuff. Well, then like two weeks later, but like, you know, still like a month away, she comes to me and she's like, Daddy, I don't want to do the Harry Potter party. And I was like, well, okay, well, what do you want to do? You know, and I'm like naming some stuff. And she's like, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I just don't want to do that. And I was like, well, well why? Because we already bought a few little things, nothing big. I was like, well, why not? You know, and, and she was like, which if I finally got it out of her, you know, she didn't want to tell me, but she's like, I'm just everybody I don't think everybody will like it I think that they're gonna you know some of my friends you know won't come to my party if I have the Harry Potter theme and then like you know my like dad radar goes off and I like I'm like come on we're sitting down we're having a talk you know and I was like baby you know I'm like if somebody doesn't want to come to your birthday party because of the type of birthday party you you picked like the theme I was like we don't want them here you know I'm like just getting all riled up you know and but I really wanted to instill that into her and I'm like you know she's like eight years old at the time you know she's nine now but that does not matter you know if someone you know, you do what you want to do. You know, you pick what's fun for you. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. And I think that's kind of the same thing is like, why is that such an issue for her, but not me? And it's the, it's the maturity, you know, she's worried that somebody's going to think that that's dorky or, you know, not going to like, you know, not going to like it or not come, you know, anyway, I just thought that was kind of relevant to what we're talking about here is, 
you know, people are kind of, like you said, closet nerds, like not wanting anybody to know what they really like. And, and that's my opinion for children and adults. You know, it's like if somebody doesn't want to hang out with you, like if somebody finds out that I do a board game podcast and I go to conventions and, and I have a huge collection in a board game room, you know, um, and they're like, I don't want to be associated with him. I mean, fine. You know, I got plenty of people that do. And so um, I don't, you know, if you're going to judge somebody on a hobby or something like that, then that person's not worth your time. Absolutely, Tom. And I, I don't think there's any better way to wrap up that subject. Again, there's so many more things that we said and certainly, um, uh, I would talk all night about it, but uh, I think that's perfect. I think that's the perfect both encapsulation of encapsulation and point of what we were getting at. I really enjoyed this, um, this life lessons with Hugh or whatever we're going to call it. I, I wouldn't mind revisiting this in the future. Good, good. Well, I feel better, actually. This is therapeutic. Yeah. <laughs> well, I went to school for something, I guess. It was worth it. <laughs> I did want to make a few little announcements. We played a game with Brad Talton of um, Level 99 Games, um, the guy who brought us Pixel Tactics and uh, Millennium Blades. There's so many other games that I don't remember. Anyway, this game is Imperial Spells and Steam. And it is so good. We got to play it on Tabletop Simulator with him last night. Such a nice guy. He suggested that he would come on the show and do a little interview and just talk about some other games that, that they're coming out with. And But that game is going to hit the Kickstarter next month. I'm not sure. I'm sure we'll talk about it. But hopefully he's going to be on the show either next week or the week after. So check that out. I know I'm going to be going to Atlanta Game Fest, May, May 5th, um, National Tabletop Day. We're going to be doing something with a local group here on the 28th and then dice tower con in july so that's all we got lined up currently you got anything you want to sign off with you not particularly tonight man well I, I really appreciate you coming on i really enjoyed our topic and thanks for sharing the games you played absolutely man it was fun all right well that'll do it for this episode follow us on twitter facebook um, everything's at who shuffled who shuffled.com you can find links to all that stuff find us on board game geek or who shuffled we got a guild page and all that good stuff itunes stitcher google play leave us some reviews i guess that's it so appreciate everyone that's listening till next time i'm tom tanner and i'm hugh Steven. thanks for listening to who shuffled find us on twitter and facebook at who shuffled